Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Aside from me, are there other surviving witnesses to the Bridgeport Poltergeist case of 1974? How many kinds of paranormal parasites are there? How old is the human race? Hello and welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. This is our 1100th edition, or 1100 and 1101st? I don't know, 1001st. 1001st. See, now we get a little lesson in grammar, good for all of us. Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON AM and FM radio here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live, on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and that was Paul, and today, uh, this is the first show of our 16th year, and we bring you open lines to try and answer some of your questions on all sorts of paranormal subjects. Yeah, a little math. Um, I'm always going around and around with people about this. How old were you, Ben, when you, when you turned one years old? How long did it take you to get from birth to one year? Uh, one year. One, yes. Okay. So people ask, well, wouldn't it be your 15th year? No, when you reach your 15th anniversary, you start your 16th year. I guess that makes sense. People gripe about that. So. I know. Well, most, mostly <laughs> mom. <laughs> well, well, that was the only way. Well, less said about her age, the better, and, and mine. <clears throat> but in any case, um, so let us begin with something rather historic for me that happened yesterday, and that's that for the first time in almost 49 years, I met met up with one of the other uh, surviving eyewitnesses of the Bridgeport poltergeist case of 1974, which we've talked about many times on the show, and I've written about several places. Uh, that was off a retired police officer, Joseph Tomek, and he happened to be in Uxbridge, Mass., which is right in our listening area. And uh, <clears throat> so we got together. Ben and I did an interview uh, with him for uh, another purpose other than this show, and we had a great visit. Uh, Joe told the story of uh, actually interacting with uh, the parasites, or one of them, <clears throat> when he went into a, a room. Everybody else was out of the house at this point. He went into the master bedroom, and he thought this whole thing was a put-on. The people are trying to fool the police and everybody else. And uh, <clears throat> he went into the master bedroom, and he said, okay, if you're here, do something. And there was a game board with little figures on it, next to the bed, and they all started to dance. He said, that pretty much sold them on the stuff he'd already seen. Uh, TVs moving, refrigerator floating. Crap, uh, cross getting thrown across the room. <clears throat> yep, exactly. And hitting a, hitting a policeman who refused to come back into the house after. Oh, yeah. Not that I, I, officer I remember that. Yeah. So uh, in any case... Um, all our best to Joe on Father's Day and to everyone else. Uh, it was a gr- really a great, uh, wonderful experience to see him. Hope we'll get together again. He lives in Florida, 
But uh, it was it was really great yesterday. I know, yeah, it was a, that was a chance meeting. Didn't expect to yeah, see Ben, him. Ben had never met him. Before. No, no, and it, and it just kind of came out of nowhere. It was kind of spur of the moment. Yeah, yeah, you got you gave me a call on on Friday and were like, "Hey, what are you doing tomorrow morning?" And then there was Joe on the other line. Then hey, and it was, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. Because he was said he was going to come up like you know later on in the year like in the winter yeah you know? some but somewhere in New yeah, England yeah no it was it was it was a surprise only a sure. few miles from where where we live oh yeah 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 so, not too um, not too far yep yeah, Joe was eighty four and going strong so God bless him I know it looks great yeah so uh, but also happy Father's Day to you Dad oh thank you Ben as as it is Father's Day and you are my father so happy Father's Day well thank you very much we're going out later and. Get a hot dog high spot. That's all. That's all you wanted. <laughs> we right. asked what you wanted. You're like, I just want a hot dog. my hot dog. Okay. When in doubt, get a okay. hot dog. So here is a, a question from Colia related to that same Bridgeport case. Mm-hmm. And Colia writes to us, uh, what did the bird-like parasites' uh, faces look like? Did they have beaks or did they look like greys or what? Uh, and also, why don't you use the video feed for YouTube? The okay. answer to that is, I don't know, uh, for the second part. Well, I know. My dad knows, All so right. he can answer that. Well, we'll answer the second one first. Uh, the the video feed is the the uh, copyright property of the studio here. Mm. So, and, But it's eminently available. The link is on uh, our archives page, and it goes into all the, uh, the link goes into all the audio, uh, connections that, that we have on the apps so in other words if you go into uh, any of the apps you should see a link to the and if you use our show app there's a link to the video so it is available but um yeah i mean it would be great to put it on youtube but we respect the uh copyright ownership of uh, owen radio here so you just go to the the site and there it is so uh, that, that's the answer to that. As far as parasites are concerned, in the Bridgeport case, it was really quite um, a shock for me because at, at that point I was 21 years old studying for the priesthood, and the priests who were there and Ed Lorraine Warren, who were with me, or I was with them, were saying that these were demons. And I'd been involved in exorcism the previous year, so yeah, I mean... But ever since my involvement, something wasn't right. I just got the impression that the old ideas weren't good enough. I didn't think they were good enough for ghosts. I didn't think they were good enough for exorcisms to explain that. And I didn't think it was good enough in the Bridgeport house. But what was the alternative? And, you know, like I'm 21 years old, you know, like they're going to listen to me. So... um on the Monday night of the case, that was the day after I first met Joe Tomek, who was one of the police officers sent to the house who saw all kinds of stuff themselves. Um, I was alone, in the, not alone, but in the house with the family. And these things attacked. I've talked about this in umpteen times. There were four, the, the kitchen filled with almost like a smoky substance. And Ben and I have a lecture program on time storms, a term coined by the great British researcher Jenny Randalls. And 
these this cloud-like electrical stuff seems to be present when there are disruptions in time and space. And we, I believe, some years later, I came to the conclusion that these things we call demons were actually interworld parasites, and that's the process by which they act. And uh, it was a kind of a time storm in that kitchen. Four semi-translucent figures came out of that kitchen, and I'd gotten the impression the day before that there were four entities involved in this case. So they come out of the kitchen. Uh, one of them came and stood right in front of me. I knew I was trying to get at the little girl. And I was, um, this is where I learned the hard way. You do not get angry, frustrated, fearful in the face of these things because they feed on it, because they're parasites. So I, I had the physical struggle with it, which threw me for a loop because these are supposed to be spirits. It got around me and threw Marcy across the room. Uh, I could not see a face. These, the bird-like structure, I, uh, sort of uh, deduced from the feel. It, the thing had a physical body, or at least one that, that you know, I, I could push against. And I felt a bone structure that to me, being a student of philosophy and theology rather than anatomy, seemed very bird-like. And uh, many years later, I found out that the ancient peoples, particularly the Babylonians, were convinced that demons or whatever they conceived of these things were bird-like. Mm. And, and maybe that's the reason. Maybe they had similar experiences eight and 10,000 years ago. So, uh, But I did not see the faces, uh, whether they had beaks or whatever. And there are many trickster spirits and gods that are... Uh, recognized by indigenous peoples, and they will actually wear the mask. Uh, particularly, um, you know, I saw that in the Yukon uh, uh, by some of the native peoples, First Nations, would wear the bird-like masks. But uh, I did not see really see their face. You could just see these. I, I refer to them as gauzy structures. They're kind of this off-white and. Um, you can see right through them. Hmm. So um, that's not a very satisfying answer. But Ben, any comment on? No, I mean, I th I think it's it's. Uh, I, I get where the question comes from because it does it does seem a little. I don't want to say misleading. It's not really the right word. But depending on the frame of the frame of mind in which you're listening, it's like, well, I mean, he said there's a bird-like structure, <laughs> so there have to be there. There should be more yeah. to it. But it's well, like, I ain't kiss it if that's what you. Mean. <laughs> I would hope not. No, <laughs> um, but I, I get the I get the where the question comes from. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It's a good question, but it's very good. But it's I think really the the more important thing is that you know you you it was the feeling of it, not much the seeing of it. You know what I mean? Mm, yes. That's that's kind of the important part. Yeah. So well, thank you, Colia. Shall we move on? We shall move on. Indeed. So we have a question from Christopher, uh, who writes to us via YouTube, uh, leaving a comment. And uh, it's a little bit of a long one, but we'll we'll hop right into it. Uh, so, 
Christopher writes, This will no doubt be a polarizing question for some, but Paul, uh, considering that you were studying for the priesthood were raised in the Catholic Christian faith, uh, what is your view on the whole story around Jesus of Nazareth as far as the ultimate and unique claims put forth by orthodoxy? Uh, in other words, the central premise of the Christian faith is not only was Jesus Christ or uh, not only was Jesus executed by the Roman authorities, but he was also raised from the dead in a manner that allowed him to suddenly appear to people, say, in a locked room. But also he was uh, physical in a way where he could eat a piece of broiled fish given to him by a disciple, so he, uh, going by what written accounts say, uh, wasn't merely an apparition. After a long time of investigating and pursuing truth of all things spiritual and paranormal, what have you arrived at personally? All right, that's a 25 words or less answer, right? Right. Um, I don't want to get into theology here. We do from time to time when it's necessary, and it is relevant to many areas of the, all areas of the, of the paranormal. Uh, I think at the root of that comment is, in question, is, the physicality of the resurrection and what Jesus was like, or Yeshua, I think that we're going to have a guest in a couple of weeks who uh, is a Hebrew scholar, uh, who really gets into the proper name of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, and then the name drives me nuts. It's a Latinized name when the, the, the Latin church tried to de-Judaize Jesus. You know, de-emphasizing his Judaism, which is terrible. Anyway, whatever you call him, he's my oldest personal friend. But um, the question, and, and this was a debate in the early church. Was he a ghost? Did he really rise from the dead bodily? Uh, what what was this about? And there was a big fight about that in the early church. And uh, what one out was the idea of he was totally physical. Uh, the whole bit in the gospel where Thomas said, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, Jesus appeared and said, put your hands in my side. See for yourself that it's really me physically. And that's a very important theological point is the physicality of the human being. Uh, it's not just, and, and the, a lot of people, in, the, in my opinion, in the Western churches, Catholics and Protestants, just don't get it. How important the physicality is, and we stress that in our own work, uh, for its own reasons. So I think what, uh, <clears throat> that explains why Jesus could rise from the dead, appear and disappear, and uh, eat a meal with his friends. Because we're dealing with the big M, the multiverse. Okay? Uh, he comes and goes, uh, perfectly physical, just like stuff we've seen right and left, including the parasites in the Bridgeport case that seem to be entirely physical, except he could see through them. You know, so, um, Ben, maybe you were... You, have theological insights, but I think the multiverse idea, God uses his own laws in his own creation. And our whole idea about creation is that God is a product of God's love, which is infinite, 
why wouldn't creation be infinite? All possible possibilities, all possible outcomes that can be used to glorify God. Yeah. So I, I think that explains the whole physicality of Jesus after the resurrection. And, and there were, there were obscure points, I believe it's in Matthew, where, uh, the many bodies of the saints, quote, were raised and walked down into the, the city of Jerusalem. And the whole Lazarus story, uh, but, you know, presumably they died again. Jesus, uh, according to the theology, didn't. So, I mean, it's all about the multiverse. And why not? Mm. What do you say, you, Ben? Well, um, I think it's kind of funny because there's some really interesting accounts of, you know, running into to other mythologies around this time when... Before it was even called Christianity, it was just like a sect of Judaism at the time, you know. And they're running around talking to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were like, they had no problem with it. They didn't. They were just like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But this guy's a nobody. He's some guy from you know, <laughs> from Jerusalem. Who cares, right? He's not a king. He's not a hero. Well, there was some debate. Well, it depends on who you talk to, right? Yeah, it does. So, yeah. like, you know, if, if we're if we're looking at like you know the Greeks, right? They were like, yeah, whatever, sure. Cool, yeah, this happens, but it's like, who cares? You know, who who cares about this guy? And it's like, but you know, you have someone who's like Julius Caesar, right? You know, he goes and murders a bunch of people, and they're like, sick, this guy's a god. And so it's like, so I, I think, I think how we look at it nowadays is just heavily, heavily enforced by scientific materialism. Yeah, and yeah. and and Hegel, right? Yeah, and and it's just very two dimensional philosopher, and, right? So it's you know it, it's it's very two dimensional, very flat, very like you know it, it turns into it turns this idea. There was this really big movement, which if nobody's familiar with it, is called scholasticism, mm. and it was really prominent in the late Middle Ages to um, you know through the Renaissance and really up until in now in Europe, right? Mm. And essentially, the idea was that Christianity stopped, was more of an intellectual thing, and it was it was really postulated by Thomas of uh, Thomas Aquinas or Thomas of Aquino, depending on how, how you, you talk about it, where he basically took Aristotle and then kind of like pigeonholed him and used all these arguments to like basically create this like structure for you know this this very legalistic reality that was like kind of the whole point and then that ended up you know filtering out from there into you know pretty much every other intellectual pursuit especially in in europe right and it's heavily influenced a a lot like a lot of things and it it sort of takes takes the spiritual and makes it just very flat and it's reasonable it's logical and we can we can study it and we can and it's a science one of the most disturbing things I think that's ever happened was what the Germans did with it, with history, right? Where they came up with this idea where, okay, well, history is a science, and it's not. No, <laughs> history not by a long shot. History is a story. That's that's what it is, and it's like we tell these stories, and that's why it's history, right? You know, not not like a, not a science that you can you can you know observe and 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 test. That's that's just not how it works. But the the idea of this it it's heavily infected how we how we think about the world and how we see it. Where we're very abstract from it, we step back and it's like, well, how can a physical thing happen? That doesn't make sense. And blah 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 blah, because it's how we think about it, right? So there's there's three really big points, which is okay. 
well, what's the point of being a human, right? So before we can even get to, you know, well, what do you think about this guy over here? You, we have to think about, well, what does it mean to be human, right? What's the whole point? And so from a quote-unquote traditional point of view, the idea is that, you know, we were created to participate in creation with God. That's that's the whole idea behind it. It's that simple, right? You know, the whole point of, of us being created in the first place was to participate and assist mm. and to and to be a part of the creation, right? I mean, we're sitting in a building with, you know, walls and stuff. Would you say we're a part of it? Of the what, the building? Well, no, but of, of, of creation. Are we sure? We are and we aren't. We build walls and structures to separate ourselves from it, much like how we build walls and separate ourselves from other people. It's the same hmm. it's the same deal, right? So that's number one. What's the whole point of it? Second, you know, what's what's the point what is a body, right? What is what is the purpose of it? What is it? And that's changed drastically. That whole definition has changed drastically over the last couple of millennia. Instead of it, you know, being a meat machine that we just drive, you know, the the old ideas of it, you know, if we go back to pre-modern thinking, essentially is, you know, we we're a, a sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. We are a nexus of powers and potentialities. Which, you know, we gain powers, we lose powers, it's not necessarily limited to physical or spiritual. The border between the two is just, it's, it's, it's fluid, right? You know, it's that idea of Charles Taylor, but the poorest self, hmm. where, you know, we, the, the, where we delineate ourselves and, and, you know, the world is, is very fluid. And so it's, it's the same idea, but in, in sort of a, a spiritual sense. Because it's, you know, we're a nexus of powers and potentialities, and I'll give you examples, right? So, um, in this instance, right, what was the point of burning stuff in, like, you know, temples back in the day? What was the point of it? Well, for what they, the smoke would arise, and they thought God was in the sky. Right. But what was the point of burning it at all? What was the point of offering food? You want the ancient aliens answer? No, but... <laughs> <laughs> Because that's okay. not because the the whole the whole idea of it is you're participating with an entity, right? You yep. you run into a cosmic being, and it's terrifying. You know what do you do? You offer it something. You know it's like someone comes into your house. What's the first thing you do? You offer them something to drink, something to eat, whatever. Yeah. Right. So it's the same. It's the same deal. That's but right. but the way that these these things exist, right? Whether it's parasites, whatever you want to call it, they exist in a diff in a different dimension than we do. But somehow they can interact with us, and it's the same deal because, you know, just like we don't know what it's like to be a bat, we do not know what it is like to be angel, demon, parasite, alien, whatever. So we we're not really sure how it all works. But for whatever reason, burning stuff seems to do things. Because what's the point of smudging? Right. Mm. What's the point of burning incense? What's the point of candles? You know, I I once went to um, uh, when I had my my mentor was a, a shaman. Right. I went to a little thing where we were doing a sweat lodge, and um, the, one of the one of the guys there made a really interesting point. And he was like, you know, every time someone lights up a cigarette, cigar pipe, whatever, really confuses the heck out of the fire spirits. And and I I was thinking about that and I was, and I thought about that recently because at the time I just kind of was like yeah 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 but now that I've thought about it I'm like oh that's a really interesting thing to say because if if that's the case then that's another thing that's interacting with the physical world 
through these 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 powers, these things that we use to order the world around us. And it's it's the same deal, right? So how we think about bodies in this in this instance, right? It's a different power and potentiality that is patterned for us, right? You know, everybody likes to think that that okay, well, you know, Jesus is this enlightened master and I've heard that definition and I think it's goofy because the whole point is we're supposed to follow in the footsteps and the paths are there. It's laid out, you do X, Y, and Z, and you're good. And but it's you know, we make it infinitely more complicated because we as humans like to complicate things. Yep. But in reality it's like the whole point is, you know, okay, cool, I did it, so you can do it too. And that's kind of that's it. It's it's <clears> that <throat> simple. And so with with the idea of okay, what's a body? What's the point? Why is why is this why is this guy important in the first place? And and why does it matter? The reason it matters is you know it's not some intellectual pursuit. You know it's not so it is it is a multidimensional thing, in in many senses of the word. Right? It's a multiversal thing. It's a multidimensional thing. It's not some. It's both incredibly simple, but also infinitely complex. That we just can't under we can't possibly understand, because you know the first step is understanding ourselves and where we fit into the equation, right? Yep. And it's like that with a lot of other spiritualities. The whole point of of it is you know you understand where you are in the grand scheme of things, you know, and how you fit into the whole with everybody else. Because really, at the end of the day, we're all participating in a story, you know, but what story that is, we don't really know yet. Does that make yeah, sense? it does. That's probably more than our listener wanted to know, uh, but he wanted to know. I think also what uh, paranormal work has done done to my own faith. Uh, I think I stated that clearly at the end of last week's uh, two-hour special. But in any case, uh, someone's writing in here by text. Uh, what's the matter with my voice? Uh, well, I officially have a vocal cord dysfunction. Uh, it can be fixed by an operation which ruins your voice. So what's the point of that? Very often it goes away on its own. Um, so that's the problem. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, dying here, I don't think, just yet. So, uh, but thank you for your concern. So that's, and I apologize for the, Boys, I just take it slowly, uh, use a lot of throat lozenges, and I get through. Big so who's, who's next there, Ben? Uh, well, I think now is about time oh, for us to take a break. Yeah, okay. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. Indeed. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on our first show of our 16th year. There you go, Dad. Yep. And uh, happy Father's Day to all, and we'll be right back. Casey Kasem has unlocked the American Top 40 vaults and is replaying original shows from the 80s. This week, Casey takes you back to June 21st, 1986. That's when Belinda Carlisle was mad about you. Whitney Houston found the greatest love of all. Simply Red was holding back the years and the Jets had a crush on you. You'll hear those songs, all the top 40 hits, and the long-distance dedications from June 21st, 1986, right here on American Top 40, the 80s. You can depend on us for public service, Owen Radio. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WON AM Radio and FM Radio. That's 
12.40 a.m., 99.5 FM here in New England's kind of, eh, I won't say hot, but we'll say warm Blackstone River Valley here. And we are jumping back into our open line show, our first of our 16th year. And uh, we're going to take another follow-up question from Christopher, which is on a completely different subject. Now for something completely different. Um, and he writes to us, Paul, you mentioned that you have arrived at nine different uh, types of parasites. Would you mind elaborating on that, please? Oh, sure. Well, I have uh, here and there, but uh, and it's uh, spelled out in my last book, Dancing Past the Graveyard. But we'll go through uh, all of them. Here I am written down to make sure I don't uh, mix them up. Uh, we start with the top shelf, which is the Ys. And uh, I started to refer to them as the Ys, not because they're wise in any sense of wisdom, but they're very, very wise in the ways of their own people, shall I say. I think these are not demons. They fill the bill and they uh, deserve the label, but they are multiversal creatures who feed on our energy and the energy of other things going on in other parallel worlds. We've, in a number of cases, run into... Uh, and I have, before Ben joined me, running into, particularly in Vermont, uh, a case where uh, something was going on in a parallel world that was feeding the parasite, and uh, it would come into our world across what a physicist would call the membrane uh, in order to get more to eat. Uh, in that particular case, uh, there was... Um, we believe a fight or a murder going on in some parallel reality. And uh, there was a police officer who lived in a basement apartment. And when the, the parasite, in our opinion, couldn't get enough to eat from the uh, what was feeding on the other world, we would come and go into the apartment. And he said whenever his um, fiancé and he would fight, the thing would, they could see it, running around the apartment, knocking stuff off shelves and all that. Uh, the last member of the Ys that I dealt with, I believe, was in 1998, and that was uh, here in Rhode Island. And uh, <clears throat> this one had its victim, its host, convinced that it was a lover from a former life, uh, the woman was writing love poems to it, and you wouldn't believe this stuff. Uh, but I saw it for what it was, and uh, we dealt with it accordingly. So that's the whys. <clears throat> there are also the elders. Uh, they also seem to have great knowledge and experience in the ways of their own kind. And um, they can be found working together. The wise, I've found, uh, tend to work alone. The elders tend to be leaders among their own kind because various kinds of parasites will sometimes be seen working together, some dominating others. Uh, there are the farmers. Uh, these seem to work quietly in groups of four to eight, and they will literally farm a family for the energy food value for 
sometimes generations. I ran into that in San Diego, uh, where there was a case with a family, uh, of, uh, Italian extraction. And they all not only had attachments that went back three and four generations, but the women in the family were highly psychic. Not that there's necessarily a connection, but I've often found people who practice mediumistic, uh, practices will very often have attachments of this kind. <clears throat> then there are the pack hunters. Highly aggressive, highly provocative, stirring things up so they can push your buttons in order to eat. Uh, they work in groups of up to six. I had a really amazing um, case with them. It was a crazier poltergeist situation than the Bridgeport house. And this was um, 1979 in New Haven, Connecticut. So they're very good mimics, the backcounters. You might hear uh, someone you um, love very much in their own voice calling you a nitwit or something worse. And uh, very often they can use uh, that sort of uh, technique. There are the rogues as well. These are loners. And they have some of the tendencies, <clears throat> excuse me, of pack hunters. Uh, the rogues very often will, uh, manifest when you use sledgehammer techniques, like Ouija boards, things of that kind. Um, I suspected that the exorcism case I talked about many times and that I wrote about in Dancing Bass the Graveyard was, uh, <clears throat> actually a rogue in the Barber case of 1973. There are the passives. <clears throat> the passives are kind of second stringers, very often uh, dominated by the elders or others, uh, and they will um, kind of feed on the crumbs from the tables of the most powerful parasites. There are the lost, and uh, this is a really fascinating tendency among parasites, um, particularly the lost, is that the the, uh, the longer they spend attached to a human host or in our world or presumably any other, the more they tend to forget that their own origins. <clears throat> I'm thinking particularly of the um, Bell Witch case in Tennessee, 1817 to 1821, uh, which I was given access to some uh, primary sources on that. And people would come, because <clears throat> they heard about it, from around this county, Robertson County, and uh, they would um, talk to the parasites. And one of the things they asked was, you know, what are you? Where did you come from? And the parasites didn't seem to remember, uh, but they said they had Native American connections and had been in the area for centuries. So that was the, the lost. Very interesting. Uh, <clears throat> they also tell hilarious jokes. Go figure. There were the tricksters, well known <clears throat> in uh, just about every tradition, particularly in indigenous peoples. Uh, they can play cruel jokes, pranks, and they are well known 
could be responsible for some poltergeist activity. There were the brats, kind of the um, bottom half. They are two-dimensional thinkers. One of the most prominent cases of a brat parasite that uh, I dealt with <clears throat> was uh, some years ago having to do with a prominent artist in New York City. And I can't tell you the name of the artist, but this uh, <clears throat> brat was attached to this person for 25 years or more, would throw the person down the stairs, all sorts of things. <clears throat> very, very upsetting. And then there are the lost and uh, frightened, of course, but the brats are the bottom shelf. So that's pretty much the uh, the uh, rank and file of the parasites there. <clears throat> yeah. Again, apologies for the voice. No, you're doing the best you can, Dad. With what you got. Thanks, Ben. That's a backhanded compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to make it a backhanded compliment. I know. Sorry. That's fine. I know. No, it's, it's, uh, it, gives you, it, it gives you character. Well, you can take the next question. I yeah, can. I sound like uh, Don Corleone. Yeah, I can say. <laughs> uh, you come to me. Um, let's see. I need, oh, the, okay. next set of, oh. need the next uh, set of questions. Sticky here. Oh yeah, yeah okay. it's, it's that time of year, unfortunately, where everything gets sticky. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. So we have a question from. Oh boy, we do love a good French name, and I apologize. I will butcher it. Um, Let me see it. La, la, la Bacquerel. There we go. La Bacquerel uh, writes in. Regarding the last question, uh, with these ancient buildings, it's important to consider that during the Ice Age, sea levels were approximately 200 feet below the current levels uh, due to the amount of water stored in the glaciers. This exposed much more land for moving materials and very likely made the migration uh, into the Americas possible. It didn't get, uh, it didn't quite get the location of the site meant, or I didn't get, I didn't quite get to the location of the site mentioned uh but if it's in the uh south southern asian er, area i'd be looking around for ancient volcanoes as a site of basalt uh we don't need to bring uh in aliens to solve this mystery but should definitely keep in mind that sea levels varied over time which is true Uh, a sudden rise in in sea levels as graham hancock postulated uh would have Uh, given rise to the story of the Great Flood. If the sudden rise was due to a comet strike, this would have also been the source of the belief that comets were signs of impending disasters. Early man may have uh, not been as mechanically advanced as we are, but their oral histories were phenomenal in recording their past. All right, th- that question referred to our last open line show when we had a caller... Uh, who asked about Gobekli Tepe and another site in, uh, I believe, was South Asia, as the reference was, mm-hmm. and that uh, we would, uh, you know, that we wanted to sort of comment on that. Uh, the 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 point being that uh, results of digs that archaeology really can't get around is starting to push the history of the human race farther and further and further back. So Gobekli Tepe, 10 to 12,000 years old. Um, apparently they had systems of 
communication of some kind. There were animals depicted that uh, on columns that don't exist anymore. So th- this is really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, th- I think the man has some uh, points. Uh, as far as the story of the flood is concerned, there are many, uh, many accounts of that from many cultures all over the world. There are also many explanations for it that have been postulated. One is that if there was a um, quick shift in uh, the poles, now as we know, the magnetic north is shifting. It's somewhere down in the Northwest Territories now. Uh, but sometimes if the, the Earth actually shifted its actual axis, uh, it's possible. And there, there are some theories that that has happened. The oceans would literally kind of slosh out of their basins, wash over the continents, and then, then recede again. I don't know if um, any kind of sea rise other than that, a quick sea rise, could create uh, a flood uh, situation globally other than the one I just described. So what say you, Ben? Well, I, I think... There's a really interesting dimension to water um, in general, and you know there there was a really interesting lecture I listened to forever ago that talked about the importance of water in ancient cultures, and you know you'd think it's some anthropological thing. Well, duh, yeah, they drink it; it's important. But no, sim- symbolically, water stood for chaos, and there's a really interesting reason why. Um, you see in ancient documents, you know, when they mention water or they mention, um, you know, anything that has to do with streams or rivers and boats, right? The reason boats were important um, was you're essentially, you're treading the chaos, right? You know, you can even look at it in, in a sense that's like, you know, if you, you kind of take your life into your own hands and you go on a boat, right? Because the sea is so chaotic. But in a sense, there's this idea that... Um, the chaos of of water was something way more significant, especially when it comes to these ancient flood narratives, right? The idea is that there was chaos everywhere, right? You know, even if even if there was, you know, we'll say some. There's a really important portion of of ancient writings I think everybody forgets about here in in the modern world, where yeah, sure, there was a physical aspect to it, but there was also many layers to whatever people were experiencing. And so, you know, sure, yeah, there was a flood. There's evidence of it. We know that there was that. But you have to look at the other ap- ap- you know, applications of it as well, right? You know, it's, sure, yeah, okay, well, you can take it and say, well, you know, they tacked on a mystical thing to it, blah, 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 because they were idiots, and they didn't have science. And it's like, well, they were idiots. They wouldn't have built civilizations. Exactly. So and They wouldn't have survived at all. Right. Well, it's well, there, it's it's selective intelligence, I think, mm. is, is kind of the word. You know, if Romans were idiots, they wouldn't have built buildings that last longer than our highways. Right. Right? So it's like... so yeah, I, highways don't last long at all. No. So <laughs> so I, I think that there's there's um, there there's a distinct... I, I think that there's a blind eye that's turned to a lot of it, um, especially in an anthropological sense, because we like to think we're the smartest ones. Honestly, I think we're the dumbest ones, <laughs> um, personally speaking. Because it's just like there's so there you know you look back and it's like you know how did they do all of this 
and you know we're we're learning how and there there was there's really interesting ideas and stuff and it's like well you know the easy explanation is oh aliens did it and it's like <laughs> that's not really fair i think <laughs> i think because people had less distractions they were able to come up with really ingenuitive you know solutions to problems and and you know how do, how do we you know move these giant rocks to build these giant pyramids and so then the other point is why would they build pyramids at all you know what was the point of it and i think that there's there's all these these questions and layers to it that you know we just kind of we have this whole our, our 19th century german friends who ruined history for us where they kind of just were like, well, everything was practical, and then they tacked on, you know, the mystical stuff at the end. You know, that was just something they added on because they were bored or dumb. And that's not really the case, because a lot of it was centered around that. You know, just because there was a giant flood, right, and definitely multiple, you know, mini ice ages throughout history that we're learning about as time goes on, doesn't mean that there weren't other implications to it throughout reality. Well, there is a point that... um scholars and a lot of other people patently fail to appreciate and that's that history especially as it gets pushed further and further back can indicate something other than just you know pushing it back or ancient aliens there's a third possibility which is cyclical history as opposed to linear history and the uh, metaphor I always use is that we we may have gone from stone tools to power tools as many as four times in this million years of, angel, of empty history that the human race has uh, had. Uh, this is indicated when we had um, uh, Professor Cremo mm. on the show a few weeks back, <clears throat> a few months back. He was... Um, He's written books about forbidden archaeology. I don't know who's forbidding it, but mainstream archaeology doesn't accept some of the more bizarre artifacts that come from <clears throat> a lot of areas around the world that in the that where you find uh, stone quarrying tools from half a million years or even more. They go back and they kind of look like our tools. You know, um, it's very possible that advanced civilizations arose, advanced in the sense of technology, and were destroyed by wars, asteroid strikes, other natural disasters, such as the floods we've been speculating about. So I think that certainly uh, that's something that has to be considered that uh, knowledge from prior, quote-unquote, advanced civilizations was carried over by tradition or literature in some way so that the the next civilization, which we would consider primitive, could build pyramids, move enormous stone blocks by sonic technology or whatever. I mean, if we were um, obliterated tomorrow and the human race uh, survived in small numbers, there would eventually certainly be traditions carried on of us flying around in airplanes, cars, building cities, things of that kind. And um, I think that's a very strong possibility about work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, 
Oh, what what what, what I, I just saw something too, and it and this, that reminded me of it. It was some mine that got discovered. I think it was a silver mine or gold mine or something. That always watch the mines. Yeah, interesting stuff. And it and it was it dated. They they managed to figure out that that might have been the one that was mentioned in like if, uh, the mines of Solomon or something. Oh yeah. I, I I saw something pop up on like my 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 goofy little Microsoft news feed thing, and yeah. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Speaking of of that, because I, I, I think it's like all this stuff's been around forever, and, oh, yeah. it, and there's a really fun sort of different dimension to the idea of cyclical history, which is you know all, all the stories that pretty much any civilization tells all kind of have the same tropes, mm-hmm. and it's just you know they're just repeated over and over and over again. Yeah, and, pretty and much it's, everywhere. Right, and the idea is that there's a universal history, quote unquote, yep. is is the name of the theory, that really all the same sort of tropes happen and they all point to the same conclusion it's it's really it's kind of interesting to think about because it it does kind of illuminate a lot of things like uh i don't like the story of king arthur you know being you know similar to like other other sort of coming of age stories or like some people have even said that it's kind of like a like a uh english creation story almost or like a northern creation myth Mm. Um, you know, like Beowulf, all those things. And it's like, and it's, it's interesting because each sort of civilization kind of has their own sort of thing that's theirs. And it's, it's unique. It's unique. It's themes and stuff are unique to their culture, but the overall sort of tropes and, and, and continuous symbols are all very similar across the board. You know, we point to it now and just say, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, everybody just thought the same things and, you know they're all they're all idiots and but it's like it's not really that it's like you know the point is that the human experience isn't really it, it's not well the human experience is mutual right yeah everybody kind of experiences the same stuff you know whether we like to admit it or not and it's it's uh, you know we all try to find ways of of ordering it and understanding it if that makes sense yes I'll go you one better. It's entirely possible that the, uh, particularly with the panspermia theory, which is holds a lot of water for a lot of cosmologists, that uh, life spread all over to hospitable planets, even some of them are not not hospitable, mm-hmm. and that uh, when, if and when we encounter civilizations out there, they may have similar traditions. Mm-hmm. They may have been uh, an original colonizing civilization. They may have similar uh, belief systems, particularly if the life experience on their planets was the same. There is a, a theory that is sounds pretty wild, but it's becoming increasingly respected in some circles that our species really originated on Mars when it was a watery planet. Which obviously it was, because we've explorations that were found that it was, uh, and that um, one of the interesting things is that when astronauts are in space, uh, nobody's going to Mars yet lately, but uh, when they're in space, they go to uh, the, their bodies cycle to a um, not to a 24-hour day. But like a twenty-five and a half hour day, jeez, which is exactly the length of the. I, I, I may be wrong about the exact measurement, but it shifts to the Martian day, 
as opposed to the terrestrial day. Hmm. That says something. So, again, as we're always saying, it's the first day of school. Yeah, truly. So, who knows? Yeah. So, let's uh, get off our high horses. Yeah, well, yeah. Nobody asked that question, but we brought it. <laughs> well, you didn't ask for it, but you got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we're coming down to the, to the oh, wire Oh, yeah, here. okay. You yeah, mean. we only have, only have about three and a half minutes left. Okay. So we can we can we can hop and do our announcements and kind Let's of take our that. time with it if you'd like. Sure. Because uh, the next question is, <laughs> it's a short one, but it's it's got a long answer to it, and that's okay. with reincarnation. So we'll get to it next time. Yeah. So you can look for us at the Exeter UFO Festival on Labor Day weekend. That's in uh, September. That's September second and third. We plan to do our traditional show from there with a live audience on September third. And the Greater New England UFO Conference is back. This is a one-day event uh, in, uh, that's on November 4th in Lemonster, Massachusetts. And uh, you can watch out for more information on that. And you can also visit our show website. That is BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 1,200 hours of our regular shows, special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio and Achieve Radio, and here on WON AM and FM. Uh, you can also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube, and you can find our 1,000th show there as well. Yeah, there was a two-hour special. Uh, there is divided uh, into two audio files, the first hour and the second hour. But if you come to ownworldwide.com um, uh, or, or onesocketradio.com, uh, the whole two hours is in the video, mm. and people are asking about videos. And we have a link to that. Yeah, uh, you get to see see my as well. my mug on on there as well, <laughs> and and everybody else. There was yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a really good show. That was really a tremendous response to that. Indeed, uh, download our show app. It's free at behindtheparanormal.com, uh, and browse our books along with those of our guest co-hosts. And our show website has a charity page with links to several good causes we've adopted over the years, including Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, a GoFundMe page for the folks in East Palestine, Ohio, site of the uh, recent train wreck and chemical fire. Okay, uh, so what's going on next week, Ben? Take the second, second one. Yes, 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 yes. So on July, uh, July, on June 25th, we'll bring you an open line show to... No, no, the... Oh, the second one. I'm sorry. So we... (laughs) Yeah, that's... that's We're going to do more open lines, more. Uh, We're going to welcome Steve Bassett, uh, a true uh, tip of the spear when it comes to UFO disclosure. Because we don't agree on much, so probably some fireworks, but we love Steve. We do love Steve. We leave you today with a thought... From Belgian-American psychologist Esther Perel, mystery is not always about traveling to new places. It's about looking with new eyes. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey and our first show of our 16th year. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.